We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. Today we're going to dive into some recent Giants news. Unfortunately, not good news, injury front news, but also recap what was arguably the most heated practice of training camp um, as several skirmishes broke out including one that led to one Giants player throwing his helmet 20 yards across the field so interesting heated practice tensions are getting high in Joe Judge's training camp which is a grind let's be honest but before we do that we do want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening and just one request if you are fans of the Big Blue Banter podcast please do us a favor help us grow on Instagram by following our Instagram account NYBigBlueBanter please please do us do us a favor and follow us there also if you haven't already Make sure you download every single podcast on iTunes. Don't just listen. Download. Give us a rating, review, subscribe. All that stuff helps us grow the show. And thank you again to those of you who uh, reached out and provided feedback on our last show. We know the audio wasn't great in our interview with Daniel Kelly. Um, it was some technical difficulties on his end. His connection wasn't great. We tried our best to get that audio as best as we could. But in the future, we have to plan for how we can kind of do a better job with that. But without further ado... Nick, what's going on, man? Nothing, dude. Just another day in paradise, you know, waiting for good old New York Giants football news to come strolling in. And unfortunately, today the news was not good. It was just absolutely not good, and you absolutely hate to hear it. Yeah, news for me these days when it comes to the Giants is always such a shock to the system because as someone who's an editor, an NFL editor for CBS Sports, I'm working on these days most of the time, and someone will just kind of drop the news right in, and I'll see it right in Slack. We work off Slack, and boom. Xavier McKinney, oh no, I see. Xavier McKinney, oh no. And you just know at that point, okay, here we go. And for me, we'll start and we'll, we'll start the show off by jumping right into the Xavier McKinney injury. For me, as I've obviously expressed pretty clearly um, and um, I guess 
definitively on Twitter, I think this is going to be a major loss for the defense. I don't think this is one that can be just, you know, poo-pooed as, okay, he's a rookie. We don't know what they could have got out of him, yada, yada, that sort of thing, because they know what they were going to get out of him. This is a guy who played in a system with Nick Saban, and he was considered the quarterback of that defense. That means he's a guy who, can, who, in my opinion, can transition right into the NFL. And just more importantly, he fits so perfectly what this defensive system is supposed to be all about, and that's versatility. He spent a third of his snaps in the box last year in Alabama's defense, a third of his snaps lined over the slot, and more importantly, a third of his snaps where he had his best snaps and graded out his best, according to Pro Football Focus, in the deep half. And this was a team, as we mentioned all offseason, Nick, I thought the deep half safety play was one of the key reasons why the defense was so putrid last season. And obviously, you had Antoine Bethea playing that role. But this offseason, they finally figured out a way to fix it with Antoine. I mean, sorry, with the drafting of Xavier McKinney as he fell into their laps there in the second round, really shouldn't have been there, was only there because of COVID, because he wasn't able to run that 40 time again at his pro day and fix that score. And to lose a guy like that, you're kind of back at square one. I mean, Antoine Bethea is not there anymore, but now you're kind of back at square one when it comes to the deep half safety snaps. And if that becomes a major liability again for this defense where they don't have a deep half safety, there's going to be a lot of third and long conversions. There's going to be a lot of big plays given up by the past defense that we saw last season. But what can you do? At this point, he's out for what's expected to be two to three months with an injury similar to what Derwin James suffered with the Chargers last season. That basically took out his entire season. I don't expect McKinney to play much of a role for the Giants this season. Two to three months would kind of time him out to make a return at some point this season. But guess what? After During that two to three months, he can't run. He can't stay in conditioning. I mean, he's got a broken foot. So, you know, and he's not getting valuable reps at the same time, you know, at least not live reps. So, to me, it's a wash this season for McKinney. He's going to come in basically as a rookie next year, unfortunately. Um, but let's see what you think, Nick. How can the Giants replace him? And what I mean by that is, what are they going to do in the deep half with his snaps he's going to play there? What's the plan for the slot? Because he's going to play some snaps there. And what's kind of their plan for the snaps that McKinney might have played in the box? I know I mentioned this on earlier podcasts about somebody like Montre Hardage, and I think someone like him is going to be even a more valuable asset now to this defense because of his mental processing ability and his familiarity. I think he wasn't going to see that many snaps with someone like Xavier McKinney. I think now it I don't want to say it's likely, but it's much more plausible that they may he may see snaps when Julian Love drops into the box, when Jabril Peppers drops into the box, especially if some of those guys are dealing with nagging injuries. It's going to be a player like Hardage or maybe another one of these young players, maybe someone like Askew Henry, if he continues to step up. I know he's had a couple bad plays and a couple solid plays in camp, according to all the reports from the beat reporters, but it's going to have to be this next man up mentality. But I think it's tough to really assign that to Xavier McKinney because I think they were really relying on this player. They were so excited when they drafted him in the second round, and I do think losing him is going to really hinder Patrick Graham's ability to kind of do what he really wanted to do with this three-safety, three-headed monster that we've kind of been talking about for the last several months. I really think this is a big blow, especially because he's a rookie. Like you said, he's a rookie, man. You know, you don't expect all that much from him. I think he was going to be utilized in a very, very unique fashion, and I think this is going to make Love and Peppers utilized in a, a more specific fashion. I still think there'll be a versatility to this defense, and they're going to try to bring guys like Hardage and other players up to kind of fill this role out. It's just not going to be as effective. And if it continues to be a liability and a liability and a liability game in and game out, they're going to have to adjust, maybe play a little bit more zone, which is something Patrick Graham doesn't necessarily yeah. want to do. So that's something that we don't want to see. But I, I, this is a devastating injury for the kid, too. This puts you way behind the eight ball which sucks, man, because he's, you're going to come back missing all this practice time, all this playing time, all these valuable reps in this kind of, I don't want to say rebuilding year, but it's first year in a new with a new head coach, a new defense, your first year in the NFL, you're going to be behind the eight ball, and that really sucks for the kid. I think he'll overcome it because he seems like he has a great head on his shoulders. He's a very bright dude coming out of Alabama, and uh, I really wish the best for him. It sucks. Tough blow, but, you know, he's going to be a resilient kid, and hopefully he bounces back. Yeah, McKinney will be back. This is not an injury that, you know, has a lot. It's not like he blew out his Achilles. The, some NFL players never come back from him. He'll have a clean recovery from this. He'll be back. He'll be an asset. He's still under contract for another three seasons after this one. All that, the future outlook doesn't really change much for me here. But the present outlook is that I kind of felt like with McKinney, Peppers, 
and Love, the Giants are kind of going to be able to hide their lack of depth at the cornerback position, in a sense, by using more of those three safety looks. Now that's kind of out the door. You mentioned Montre Hardage. That's someone who the Giants' defensive backs coach talked about the other day as having a leg up. He has experience in the system. He's playing well right now because he's acting fast in the field. A lot of these guys are still new to the terminology, are still new to what they're being taught, and so they're thinking. They're thinking a lot on plays, and it's causing them to be a step slower. That's not happening with Hardage. So I think in one sense, the silver lining is that at least now they can kind of mix in a guy who doesn't have to think as much. He's very familiar with the system. That could be a big advantage almost, silver lining advantage for the Giants. He may not have the physical talent of a Xavier McKinney. He may not have the versatility of McKinney. He can't do all the things McKinney does. And more importantly, he may just simply not be a solution in the deep half. That's still what's so the most concerning for me. They need to figure out what the heck is going on in that deep half because the deep halves have been just killing this team for decades straight, really since Kenny Phillips was healthy. I mean, Andrew Roll played sort of the deep half role, but really was closer, really used a lot um, around the line of scrimmage as well. But really since Kenny Phillips, they haven't had that guy that defenses, ha- I mean, sorry, that opposing offenses have had the respect in the deep half so they don't take these shots on third and longs that kill the Giants, that open up games. The Giants gave up an incredible rate of explosive pass plays last year. It's not sustainable. You cannot be a good defense giving up that rate. And I really felt like McKinney could fix that. But again, next man up and they have some options there and we'll have to see. I mean, this is going to put a burden on Julian Love, I think. I think now we have our answer. Love at the boundary, that's not happening. Love in the slot, maybe on a variety of snaps or, you know, occasionally on some snaps, but depending on matchup, depending on things like that. But he's going to be forced right into the fire and going to be asked to play the deep half a little bit more. I I agree. Julian Love is definitely put into a position where he may be asked to play single high and, and cover one man coverage kind of situations. I mean, Peppers, you think athletically he fits that profile, but he is excellent near the box as well. I know James Betcher loved using him there. Just by judging what Patrick Graham did last year with the Dolphins defense, you would imagine that Peppers on third down will be used more in the box, more towards the line of scrimmage. But yeah, this is a big blow. This is, but... I mean, we didn't have exactly huge expectations for this defense anyways, right. if we're going to be honest, but I really was looking forward to the growth of someone like Xavier McKinney, somebody that I've really valued coming out of Alabama. So, I mean, I'm, it, it's disappointing for the kid, but like you said, man, like I think physically he'll heal yeah. and come back from this. I just hope that the fan base doesn't sour on him and then things kind of get you know negative press about him if he doesn't come out in his second year and just ball out right away. I hope he doesn't get behind the eight ball from that aspect. But again, I'm, the future should be bright for him. Yeah, you're right. And as we've discussed before, if this team's going to outdo, outperform expectations, it's going to be because the offense is controlling the clock, dominating time of possession, and keeping the defense off the field. So in that sense, you know, this isn't quite like losing an Andrew Thomas or... God forbid, let's just say, or, you know, Will Hernandez, Kevin Zeitler, those are big blows that they're not going to come back from. Um, but this is, and, and obviously, let's, God forbid, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley types, but this is a little bit different just because he was going to play versus role, but they'll have to move on. They'll have to improve. We don't exactly know how the injury happened. What we do know is during the team portion of practice yesterday, both McKinney and Peppers were held out. Hopefully, we haven't heard anything on Peppers. Hopefully, there's nothing there. They simply can't afford to lose Peppers. Um, rumor has it, though, McKinney actually, the injury occurred when McKinney actually slipped and fell on a loose tennis ball that was on the field. Um, no one knows why tennis balls are on the field, but... Wait, are you, you have to be joking about that. <laughs> of course, I'm not getting around, getting around here. But this, is, this goes back to the, the headlines today. Oh, and, of course, man. All, hey, gotta have balls in your hands sometimes, yeah, you know? listen, the Joe Judge specialty put defensive... Tape, tape tennis balls to defensive uh, backs' hands, and so they won't hold. That that seems like a weird one to me. Honestly, like I've heard of NFL teams and college teams using uh, boxing gloves and things mm-hmm. like that. Anything that limits your ability to grab, and that's obviously the reason why they're taping tennis balls to their hands is because you can't grab, and therefore, if you are beating a play, you have to athletically overcome. And from a technique standpoint, you can't grab and then cause a penalty because Joe Judge is all about this discipline. He's all about limiting penalties. And that's something that I hope will transpire on Sunday because how many times have we seen through the years cornerbacks get really grabby at the top of breaks because they're slightly beat and they they cheat a little bit. And sometimes you get away with it in the NFL, but a lot of times you don't, especially when with young DBs who don't really know how to hide it as well as some of the other DBs. So that's yeah, the, that was uh, like the entire Eli Apple tenure with the oh, Giants. Oh, jeez, I know. Holding man. penalty after holding penalty. I mean, I, I'm intrigued by ideas like this, but I am concerned like a cornerback coming down from a, a, a jump ball 50-50 situation he comes down weird. Now he he doesn't have his 
the same way he can't break his fall the same way because he's a tennis ball tied to his Imagine hand. if he like falls down and he, and he uses that tennis ball to break his fall and then it like rolls on the and wrist. Roll, right. That, that, yeah, that would be right. It doesn't feel like it's a great spot for the wrist. I, it, it, it's interesting to me. Some of these tactics, they're getting a lot of press. And we'll talk about something else that he said yesterday that really drove some headlines today oh, regarding yeah. Daniel Jones. But that was just a little joke, Giants fans. Don't don't worry. Please don't take that seriously. <laughs> Saber McKinney did not get injured tripping on one of the loose tennis balls from Joe Judge's uh, tennis ball tactic. Um, we don't know where the injury came from, but it is what it is at this point. Yeah. Another injury that came up just kind of out of the blue, but also around the same time, David Mayo undergoing surgery for torn meniscus. So that's a depth injury. I was not hoping that we'd see David Mayo too much in the field, but when you look at this linebacker corpse with Ryan Connolly missing the big practice from from the past two days, missing bo- the, both of the last two heavy practices, that's not a great sign, I don't think. There's been no update there. Judge is giving no information there. And so if he's out, and if Mayo's now definitely out, that one's for sure, we're looking at an inside linebacker depth chart. I mean, you know, we got Blake Martinez locked in, Tay Crowder, Devontae Downs is starting to make some headway there as he's kind of playing a role there. He's he's looking okay in camp. I don't know if I want Devontae Downs on the field. What do you think is going to shake out there? Are they going to kind of change up the personnel based on the lack of depth inside or what do you how do you kind of see that playing out these things are so intertwined with each other because like we've been saying we believe that Xavier McKinney his presence would allow Julian Love Jabril Peppers to play in the box with one of those linebackers probably Blake Martinez the guy they signed from Green Bay but then you also have Ryan Connolly but say Ryan Connolly is out the one positive thing you can say I guess you could say it is a silver lining is the positive reports from Tay Crowder and Devontae Downs coming from camp but none of them really give me a warm and fuzzy now I've seen a couple clips on Twitter of Tay Crowder reacting really well in team drills and looking really fast and sharp and physical in individual drills so that gives you that like okay I know he a lot of people the Giants drafted him with Mr. Irrelevant because they did not want him to have the opportunity to choose where he would go they wanted the rights to Tay Crowder obviously they liked TJ Brunson and Cam Brown a little bit more and Cam Brown's kind of a different type of player he's working with the edges a little bit Mm -hmm. more too he's not like a true linebacker but I think someone like Tay Crowder would really have the opportunity to step up there seems like he's getting raved about in camp I don't have my boots on the deck out there so I can't talk about it personally but the David Mayo injury sucks man Ryan Connolly hopefully this is all precautionary obviously he's coming off of a pretty devastating injury last season the torn ACL and hopefully it's all just precautionary. But I think someone like Tay Crowder, there's, there's going to be an opportunity. Just like there's an opportunity in the secondary. These, if you're a young player on the back end of the Giants defense this year, <laughs> you have opportunity to make it in this league. And we, we've been hearing about that from guys like Jerron Williams too. Listen, Ryan Connolly was a fifth-round pick going into week one, week two, week three of the season last year and made a name for himself kind of out of the blue. I mean, he did have a strong camp. There was a drum beat that started to build a little bit, like you said, for guys like Devontae Downs, for guys like Tay Crowder. But... You really didn't see it come to fruition, and it came and it kind of came out of nowhere in the regular season. Fifth round pick. Well, Tay Davis was starting the Dallas game. It was Tay Davis out there, and then you saw Ryan Connolly got like a series or two in Dallas, yes. and then Buffalo. He came in there and he was really playing well, and then and that's when you saw him in Tampa Bay, and then you saw him in Washington. Get his snaps significantly increased. He was making tackles. He was making interceptions. He was getting pressures on the quarterback, and then obviously the injury happened against Washington. But let's just hope that that's all precautionary. Yeah, we'll have to see. So today, as we're recording, this is Thursday. It was the light day Thursday. Um, practice was actually delayed for 45 minutes as the Giants met to discuss social climate, the social climate right now, as we have obviously seen uh, NBA has postponed uh, the season, it looks like, or at least games for tonight were canceled, postponed. Um, WNBA followed suit there. And then uh, the Brewers have also uh, also canceled their game for tonight. So a lot going on there. Giants wanted to take some time to discuss that and then kind of had a light walkthrough. But the day before on Wednesday, it was it was a heated practice. I mean, there were multiple player run-ins. Listen, this is, this is a grind. This Joe Judge camp, it's a grind. He's got players running laps for every mistake they make. He's got he wants to get his quarterback in <laughs> getting hit. I mean, this is a grind. This is, I mean, we have players like TJ Lang coming out on Twitter and Damon Harrison questioning what the morale's like. But to Joe Judge's credit, from everything we've read from the players, and it's tough to, to assume they'd say anything different if they felt anything otherwise. I wonder what your take is on that, Nick. But from everything I've seen from Daniel Jones to Sterling Shepard and, and other of these, and multiple, and those are, I, I mentioned them because they're two core leaders right now on the team, core guys. These are guys that are signed for the next few years and will be core players the next few years. But 
they seem to like what's going on or they seem to at least be okay with it. I think the key to that is that this is a young team. They don't have big veteran presence right. on this team. And I just I think about more established teams. I do not think this type of coaching sure. would really succeed. And I think someone like Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, presumably people who will be with the New York Giants for the foreseeable future. I think they're more uh, likely to buy in because they're younger and because they don't have as much experience. I mean, imagine being like a 33 year old veteran who's been in the NFL for 11 years and you have kids and everything, and then you have you're running laps. Like I just I can I see. I can't even imagine Janor- Janoris Jenkins. Yes. In camp this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean so. Odell Beckham and Janoris Jenkins in this camp would have been a downright disaster. And if this, I'm telling you, man, if the Giants start out slow, like this message could die yeah. fast. Oh, yeah. And that's something I'm that very worried about. That I'm very worried about that as well. That's definitely a worry. But I think the fact that this is a young team allows this to kind of happen. I know Bart Scott was talking on the radio today about. Uh, veteran coaches when John Harbaugh took over the Ravens because Bart Scott was a linebacker there and he said like Rex Ryan being the veteran coach that he was was kind of a buffer between the head coach who was a little bit more hard-nosed like Harbaugh was and I'm wondering if Jason Garrett is some maybe something like that and Patrick Graham is something like that for some of these players to Joe Judge who was really kind of coming down hard as a rookie head coach and he has these veteran I mean you have guys like Freddie Kitchens on staff Brett Bielma on staff these guys have been around football for so long they've been head coaches at the collegiate and the NFL level and I'm sure they're assisting Joe Judge and kind of making sure he doesn't overstep the bounds like trust me I've been in coaches meetings before man all this stuff is talked about it's not like the head coach is going to rule with an iron fist Mm -hmm. I know every coach is different but I'm sure Judge isn't ruling with an iron fist and he's listening to his fellow coaches he brought all those guys around him surrounded himself with these guys because they're smart they've been around football and they are detail oriented and i'm sure judges and is also introspective with this as well even though he is being hard-nosed towards the media and towards the players and kind of setting a standard for this team yeah i think it's an excellent point nick and i think you know part of it plays a role though i mean when you have a camp when you run a camp like this you're gonna have some heated practices and that's what they had on wednesday i mean evan ingram gets into it lorenzo carter and they're jawing at it all practice long and it finally culminates with evan ingram chucking his helmet 20 yards down the field but little do we know ingram's not the one to blame at least not in the coach's eyes because next thing we see joe judge has lorenzo carter running a lap after the skirmish and from everything i've read basically carter just got fed up with evan ingram playing hard, blocking hard, playing physical in practice, which I love to see from Ingram, by the way, who's never had an issue never. With, with effort when it comes to his blocking. It's really just a frame issue, at least in my opinion. He's just not a big tight end. He's yeah. a wide receiver in a t- playing tight end. And so he's not always going to be able to execute blocks against certain guys who are setting the edge. But Lorenzo Carter is someone who he he has had some I mean, it seems like he can have some success. Lorenzo Carter, big-time big athlete, you know, freakish body, but... Not the best at setting the edge in their run game, or at least hasn't been to this point in his career. He's been okay at it, but yeah. not. Yeah, Carter's got to have a little bit more success on Sundays to be getting mad at. Oh, yeah. Start, like, I can understand. Like, I don't even want to say I can understand, but if you're a veteran player, and Lorenzo Carter, he has a couple years under his belt, and this rookie tight end is kind of going, I can understand that, like, frustrating you. But this is Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram has been in the league yeah. longer than you, and he's had more success in this league, and he had, has had these injury issues. I love hearing Evan Ingram is pl- uh, trying his heart out every rep, and if that pisses Lorenzo Carter off, so be it. Yeah, like, I mean, listen, raise your level of play. Yes, exactly. These two have gone against each other prior to this camp, two straight training camps before this, and I'm sure under Shermer, it wasn't like this for Carter. You know, these players weren't playing as physical in practice against their own teammates. But guess what? The best teams practice like this. The Patriots practice like this. Yeah. The Ravens practice like this. It's time to step up and change things up. Yeah, we are a little worried. Like you mentioned, the message might get watered down if the Giants are losing games. But but throw all that out the window for now because what is more important to focus on now is that they need some kind of change in this training camp. They can't have status quo. The status quo has been killing them for years with McAdoo and Shermer, these laissez-faire training camps. I've seen them firsthand. Training camp felt like a walkthrough to me when I went there the past two years to watch Pat Shermer's training camps. They were not anything like what, what we've heard. And again, my boots are not on the ground. We haven't been able to get in there, me and Nick. But from everything I've heard, these are completely night and day situations when it comes to the intensity and physicality level at these two training camps and for me i welcome in something new because they needed a change there in that regard i agree but i also there's a part of me that also says 
I wonder if players are also looking at each other and kind of doing the eye roll mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. Like, especially it's, in these really heated practices. Yeah. It's hot outside. They're at it for hours and hours. And then they're told to run a lap after some uh, minor mistake. I'm wondering if they are rolling their eyes at that. And I hope that doesn't end up affecting this message that Joe Judge, a message that I that I like. Yeah. I hope that doesn't end up affecting that message down the line. Time will tell there. A um, couple other highlights from practice. I thought from everything I've read, Daniel Jones arguably had his best day in practice. It was highlighted and capped off by really, really pretty final touchdown pass to Sterling Shepard, who got up, scored the touchdown, started jawing. Sterling Shepard has apparently been one of the biggest trash talkers um, so far in camp. And I, like we've talked about this before. I think Sterling Shepard is such an underrated NFL football player. I think it's going to finally show out this season. Remember, some receivers, if, if you look at the studies of the wide receiver position, it's the position that where you enter year four or five, that's when the breakouts are happening. Three, four, and five. It takes extra time. It's not like running back where you go right into the fire and you're playing at your peak level. So it does, would not surprise me if Sterling Shepard breaks out this late into this late, quote unquote. It's not even that late, but this deep into his career, if you want to call it that. And he caps off practice with a beautiful touchdown where it's over Bradbury. And again, this ball, very reminiscent to me. I've watched the clip. It was very reminiscent to me of the of the Jones to Shepard touchdown pass against the Bucks. It's not in the same spot obviously it's not the exact same throw but it was reminiscent in the sense that the ball placement by jones and again we've harped on jones's ball placement in the red zone as a major plus that doesn't get discussed often when you're breaking down why we're you know why we should be excited about a prospect but this ball placement if it's not in this spot james bradbury's breaking this pass up it, it really has an inch or two margin of error here this ball if it doesn't hit that spot it's not it's bradbury's making a play on the ball and they're not finishing that drive with the touchdown they're settling with a field goal in the red zone there. So excellent for me to see. Jones, again, my issues with Jones. It, it, I have issues with Jones as a quarterback, as a prospect. I'm not sold on him. I, you know, we've talked about it at length. We've talked about it with Mark. He's a much better quarterback right now, man versus zone. He's really not a good quarterback at all versus zone. I still have issues with his deep ball to, to some extent. And obviously, his, you know, his ability to process, to mentally process, because I think Pat Shermer made things very easy on him last year. But... One thing I'm not at all concerned with, and this goes to further prove why I shouldn't be, is his red zone ball placement, his ability to convert red zone opportunities into touchdowns. And remember, that was such a big issue with the Giants' offense in the latter Eli Manning years. They would get down there in the red zone, and Eli Manning would really struggle to convert those into scoring, into touchdown situations. So great to see. I thought Jones in general had his best practice from everything I've read. So obviously there was the blemish at the beginning of practice when he threw the pick six to BJ Hill. Good to see BJ Hill get on the board. I mean, BJ Hill's going to be our starting boundary corner this year. <laughs> yeah, that's you go, especially once the rest of our cornerbacks uh, can continue to slip on these tennis balls that are just rolling around. These tennis balls all over practice, balls in everyone's hands. Man, what the hell is going on? Over there? <laughs> what is up with this Joe Judge practice? What's up with the Joe Judge practice? Are, you, anyway. are you, you trying to do a Seinfeld? What's the deal Terrible. with that? Terrible. We gotta we gotta retire the Seinfeld act here. You don't like it? <laughs> I don't think either of us did a good job there. I we'll think, let I the think, listeners decide. No, I think my Seinfeld now it's over. It's purposely over the top, but that's how you're supposed to kind of do a Seinfeld, in my opinion. Interesting. I I've yeah. never tried a Seinfeld. Um, I think I could do a Larry David better than a Seinfeld. I I don't know why. I just feel like I could. But maybe that makes sense if you're gonna do a Seinfeld. You're gonna be at the George Steinbrenner. Anyway, back to the Giants football podcast that we're all here for. Again, we're joking about the tennis balls. No injuries have come from that. Just a, just a little joke. But yeah, besides the B.J. Hill blemish, it was a really good day for, for Jones. Anyone else, anyone else stand out to you from practice, Nick, or anything else you wanted to talk about? Any notes from practice? It seems like Jerron Williams, the kid yeah. from Auburn, the cornerback, has been catching the eye of his positional coach, Jerome Henderson and Patrick Graham. So that's definitely a good sign for his ability to make this team, especially with the dearth of talent at the corner position and kind of in the secondary in general. So you may be seeing this kid make the team, earn his role in special teams, and maybe become even the second or third boundary cornerback behind maybe Corey Ballantyne, who might end up starting, or Brandon Williams, who they just signed if that has officially gone through. Who I remember Brandon Williams because he was with Arizona, yeah. and I remember him because it was he was somebody to attack in fantasy football and in <laughs> DFS. So that's not the best news, but at the same time, I think he was like a 24 year old player put into a pretty bad spot out there. So I don't want to hold that against him. So let's hope he's kind of grown. I haven't watched any film on him recently. I would like to get to that eventually, but I, I like to hear 
hear positive things from someone like Jerome Williams. And you look at it, there's a lot of young corners on this team, and you're not hearing like so much positive things about some of the other guys that are on the roster. Like Darnay Holmes, obviously you are, but like uh, Christian Aguelo, like you're not really hearing a lot about mm-hmm. that. You're not really hearing a lot about Chris Williamson. You're not really hearing a lot of that, but you're hearing it about this kid. You've yeah. heard it for multiple days. So for me, that that kind of gives me this because I'm not there. Gives me this look at where I'm just like, you know what? Maybe this is actually legit, and it's not just kind of training camp fodder. I think that's a very good point. I think as you know, friend of mine from the industry, Cecil Lemmy, has coined the term of that steady drumbeat, which is a really important thing to look for during training camp. The steady drumbeat that builds and builds. And we've seen the steady drumbeat with Darnay Holmes. And we've seen the steady drumbeat with Jaron Williams. And these are guys that we expect to potentially be playing big roles at this point on a defense and in a secondary. That is inept when it comes to depth um, and just dying for someone to step up, dying for someone to claim a role. And these two can do it. I really do believe that. Another interesting thing I thought uh, I took away from practice was that it was a pretty good day for the pass rushers, I thought. Specifically, Marcus Golden had a really awesome rep that caught the attention of every beat writer. Would-be sack and team drills, 11-on-11. Obviously, you don't sack the quarterback in practice. And then Cairo Fackrell finally got some hype. I mean, he's had a quiet camp as well, but he had a really active day, and he's my guy. I mean, I've said it. He's my sleeper for the year. I love Kyler Fackrell. He's my favorite signing value-wise of the offseason, and I'm really excited to see him in this defense. It's funny, man. I just got done watching a bunch of film on Cam Fleming, and there were a bunch of Spoiler reps. alert. We're getting yeah. to that soon. Yes, there are a bunch of reps against Kyler Fackrell. So in my Big Blue View article that should be coming out here in the next coming days, there will be a section just dedicated to Kyler Fackrell versus Cam Fleming. Oh, I want to see that. Yeah, it's it's good. Kyler Fackrell, deceptively strong, man. He can get up the yeah. arc pretty quickly. He has a solid first step. He's crafty with his hands, too. He's crafty with his hands. There's there's things to like about him. People forget about him because they signed Zadarius Smith mm-hmm. and they signed Preston Smith, and I get that. But he had 10 and a half sacks in 2018. And he drafted the kid from Michigan in the first one, Rashawn Gary. Yeah, Rashawn Gary. Yep. New Jersey native. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. New Jersey's got to represent in him. Oh, yeah. Sure. All right, Nick, I think that kind of wraps up the key takeaways from practice. There wasn't anything else too crazy that stood out. Obviously, he did practice. But there were some headlines that came up after practice. So we'll start with the good, and then we'll move to what was considered a bit controversial by some people, I guess. Um, at least made the headlines of CBS Sports. Some of our writers picked up on it, and a lot of other sites picked up on it. But let's start with the interesting one that's uncontroversial, and that's Joe Judge gave a little update on the center position battle. And he said right now that... This position, this battle is scratch, or a scratch even, I should say, basically between Nick Gates and Spencer Pulley. We've seen what it seems like Gates taking more reps than Pulley, but a lot of that is because Pulley missed practice with with an injury. Um, I, I believe that was Tuesday. It was a minor injury, nothing crazy, but scratch even battle. What are your thoughts on the center competition, and do you have any predictions for who will win what is now determined by Judge, at least, as a scratch even battle? I, I kind of am coming around on Nick Gates. Like, just seems like a lot of the things you see on Twitter of just these... It, it's just random clips, so I don't know if he's just filling in for Spencer Pulley or if Spencer Pulley was hurt, but it seems like he's out there a lot on these. You see his long hair. You see him out there, and it seems like a lot of the coaching staff, Mark Colombo, they're praising his work ethic. They're uh, praising his strength. They're, pl- they're praising a lot about the kid, saying he's coming along, he's incredibly intelligent, which makes me feel like maybe he can master this center position and I know I was a little hesitant to believe that a few months ago and I'm still going to be a little bit concerned about his strength at the point of attack Mm -hmm. because it's just what I saw when he was playing guard against Miami and I know it was a limited sample size but I do believe that there was some merit to that and I do think that maybe he could be a better tackle but that doesn't mean he can't be a better center than Spencer Pulley so I think it's very it's a realistic that Nick Gates could be the starting center yeah I'll look at it kind of from a more simplistic view that I could still, that I think think still kind of could sum it up. I mean, as Colombo said, we're talking about a scratch even battle, according to the head coach, between a guy who has years of experience at center and a guy, as Colombo was quoted saying, is still learning the position, but doing everything he's asked, picking it up quickly, getting better rep to rep. So you want to talk about someone who's learning the position, even with somebody who's played years at the position. I'm going to give the obvious edge to someone learning the position because that just means he's going to get better and better every day to the point where it no longer is a scratch even battle. It's a obviously Nick Gates is the center, and that's what I think is going to happen at this point. I'm actually going to be surprised if Nick Gates is not the starting center for week one against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think it's very close to being locked in now. I'm with you. 
I think play strength's an issue. I think this is a big leap. But I don't think they have much to lose because it's Spencer Pulley. Yeah, they don't have any alternatives that it's like they're benching him for like, like vintage old recruits Spencer or something. Spencer Pulley is nothing to Exactly, it's, yeah. It's addition almost by subtraction. There's upside with Nick Gates. I don't see any of that with Spencer Pulley. He has experience in position. End of story. That's all he brings to the table, Spencer Pulley. And by the way, he has most of his experience in his own blocking scheme, in a predominantly inside zone blocking scheme. And that's not anything that we want. I mean, he's just not a fit. He's not a fit for the scheme. He's not a fit for me at any center, <laughs> center position, any team. And you can't lose much. So I think this scratch-even battle for Joe Judge, it won't be much for a scratch-even battle as Gates continues to get reps and continues to improve as he learns the position. No, I, I totally agree with that. And it's, it might have taken me a little bit to come around, but it just seems like that's the way things are going to be trending. So I think Nick Gates will also be starting week one. What about uh, what about all this news about good old Daniel Jones taking that red jersey off and maybe getting popped a little bit in practice? I think that's some interesting. I know it's made a lot of headlines around uh, NFL media circles. I think it's a pretty interesting uh, development. Yeah, Joe Judge's quote, I don't think we're going to throw him into a Royal Rumble, but he does want to pop his pads a little bit. Uh, at some point in a controlled environment to get his body prepared. Now, this comment, you know, there's been a lot, a lot in NFL media circles, on Twitter with some big NFL media guys, you know, reporters, big big time guys. A lot of Joe Judge skepticism. Mm-hmm. Players, we've seen TJ Lang come out about it, um, and other NFL players question how he's running his camp. Now there's questions about things like this. I think there's a, <laughs> I think it's easy to pile on Joe Judge and he's a pile on Dave Gettleman and the Giants. This is a kick your team when it's down. They do this to the Jets. This is what's going to happen when you're a losing team for a lot of years like the Giants have been. But having said all that, I do not see any value in hitting Daniel Jones in practice. I don't care if it's a controlled environment. There's no need to get his body prepared. He's prepared. He's an NFL player. He's been training in the offseason. He'll take his first hit and that's it. You're back in it. I mean, you have guys like LaDainian Thomas and Adrian Peterson who didn't play a single preseason snap for most of their career and were completely fine week one when they took their first hit. This is a quarterback. He's not even a running back who's getting hit on a play-by-play basis. So to me, I don't like the idea of it. I hope he's just kind of like saying it and really it's going to be super controlled to the point where like Jones is not taking any kind of hit that could put him in any kind of jeopardy. I but mean, even that, like the, the the optics of that is incredibly yeah. weird to me. All right, you know what, Daniel? You're going to stand yeah. back here. Marcus Golden's going to beat Cameron Fleming, and he's going to come in and he's just going to pop you. So just yeah. just do what you normally do. Like it, it seems like a very forced and unnatural type of thing. It's odd. It's 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 certainly odd. Um, again, this is not my favorite Joe Judgeism so far uh, by any means. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly more intrigued by the let's eliminate penalties by putting the tennis balls and stop holding, even though I have a little bit of concern there on the injury front, but <laughs> at least I can see some upside there. I don't see the upside. Daniel Jones doesn't need the hits. He'll get his hit week one, and that'll be fine. He'll wait back up from it totally totally normal. Him getting extra hits in, pre, in, in camp isn't going to change much. I opinion. do wonder like what the effects of not having preseason are going to yeah. do to NFL football. For NFL football, yeah. it will have an effect for sure. 100%. Um, but we'll have to see what happens there. Interesting notes. I thought something interesting I pulled out from a Jason Garrett recent interview, especially because it's Jason Garrett who has a reputation as a tight end whisperer, has really unlocked a lot of production out of tight ends over the course of his career, including back end of Jason Witten's career where he shouldn't be producing and he's still producing. Guys like Blake Jarwin coming up there, guys even in smaller sample sizes there with the Cowboys who have done well under Jason Garrett. And Jason Garrett's been a big fan so far of Garrett Dickerson, a guy who kind of fell out of the mix last year as Caden Smith kind of came up and made his name. But Garrett Dickerson was a guy who kind of hung around there with the Giants on the practice squad a little bit, saw a little bit of playing time, but not much um, on the actual roster. Out of Northwestern, not a big tight end, but an athletic tight end, someone who is interesting to me just because he has a ball of, it's like a ball of clay that Jason Garrett has to work with. And what Garrett said Tom Brock of Newsday was that Dickerson has some versatility to him. He can be on the inline as tight end, but he can also line up a little bit, line up, he can also open up a little bit, I'm sorry. He also can come back into the backfield. He's done a lot of positive things for us, both in the run and pass game the past few days. He's, what, what Garrett's basically saying there, in my opinion, Nick, is versatility. He's stressing the versatility. He likes Dickerson because of his athleticism allows him to line him up in multiple spots, and he can potentially find a role for him based on that. I know the Cowboys ran a, sh- a lot of split zone, 
And I don't think Dickerson would be starting over someone like Toy Lolo or even Caden Smith as a blocker in those situations. I haven't really familiarized myself with his blocking according to his film in college, but I know he did that. He was an H-back for the Wildcats. He's also a Bergen Catholic kid, so I'll always have a, a little bit of a soft spot for kids from New Jersey. But Dickerson, just getting praise from your coach. And I want to say he's six foot three, two forty eight. So he has a thick build. And if he is showing a lot of this versatility in camp, good for him. He could definitely be a practice squad candidate. I'm not 100 percent sure if there's going to be room on the active roster for him, given the fact that they brought in Levine Toilolo. They still have Caden Smith. They have Evan Ingram. I don't know how many tight ends they're going to plan to keep, but it's definitely interesting and it's good for him because if he doesn't make the roster and he passes through waivers, I'm sure that he'll end up on the practice squad and. If anything happens to any of these tight ends, tight ends of an injury-prone right. position, you might see him up there. I mean, we saw Scott Simonson how many times under the Pat Shermer area fi- uh, find his way up to the active roster. And if he can prove to be somewhat of an asset or an option out of the backfield, maybe that's how he works his way into the roster. You don't know. But his versatility is certainly opening opening our eyes. And somebody when, when Jason Garrett, the offensive coordinator, calls you out by name and, and specifically pinpoints you. It's something to keep an eye on as a deep sleeper, a deep, deep sleeper in this giant training camp. But before we break down and dive into Nick Nick's breakdown of Cam Fleming, Nick just spent, I don't know, two hours breaking down Cam Fleming film, so it was awesome stuff, and he's going to give us a little preview of what you'll see in his Big Blue View article coming up, which is a film breakdown of Cam Fleming, who, by the way, we're both cautiously optimistic can be an upgrade at that right tackle position this season and still has a lot more upside than people realize he's only 26 years old before we do all that i'm going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors from tight muscles tough workouts signs of aging to simply making it through each busy day everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore so everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Wersland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary TheraGun percussive therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. He created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic, but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic by the way. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic. Grown in the US, and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover body bomb for targeted relief and sleep aid. And now, through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire, all one word. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire. But only until Labor Day, go right now to theragun.com slash bluewire. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, before we dive into your breakdown, actually, of Fleming, Nick, I wanted to touch on something else that stood out to me from recent interviews with coordinators, and it focuses on the offensive line, so it kind of came to my mind as we were discussing earlier that we were going to talk a little bit about Fleming's tape. Because Fleming, by the way, is basically on a skyrocket up right now to that right tackle position. There's almost no doubt in my mind he'll be the right tackle on day one for this offensive line. But something Colombo's been doing a lot in practice lately is extra work with his offensive line practicing dealing with stunts, with defensive line stunts. Why is that so important to me? Why did that stand out to me? Because think about this Giants offensive line over the last 
two or three years and how much trouble they've had dealing with stunts the entire beginning remember that dallas cowboys came from a couple years ago week one or week two where they were just totally dominated by stunts there and it was like an embarrassment watching this team not be able to pick up a stunt and you think these are such a simple thing to deal with stunts but it's not these blind men need experience and like like colombo said by the way it's all about communication when it comes to dealing with the stunts, and that's something yeah. he's harping on as well. So to me, this extra focus on dealing with stunts for this offensive line is exactly those little things that stand out when you ask, why am I excited about Mark Colombo's offensive line coach? Why do I think there's any real tangible evidence or can there can be a tangible upgrade going from Hal Hunter to Colombo? It's this. It's stuff like this. It's him spending the extra time so that for this offensive line to start to learn to pick up stunts, to get better, to get more reps, more experience, more communication together, practicing picking up stunts because all teams run stunts. Some teams run them more than others. But one thing is for sure, the Giants offensive line has really struggled to pick up defensive line stunts over the last three seasons. There's no better way to get four-man pressure if you want to drop the other guys back into coverage than to do twists and stunts, and there's many different ways you can do it. You can do tackle in, you can do end tackle, you can do coffee house stunts, you can do a lot of different creative things. Why don't you break those stunts down, by the way, for us real quick, for the the viewers who might not know what you mean Yeah, so a tackle end stunt would be the tackle is going to be the penetrator while the end's going to come around and be the looper. The end tackle stunt is just the other way around. And then a coffee house stunt is basically like a fake stunt where you sell like you're going to stunt, getting the tackle to kind of open up, and then you just go in your original path. And it kind of opens up a way because the guard and tackle are communicating, hey, we're going to switch, we're going to switch. But right. instead, you're actually not switching. You're going to just go and attack the quarterback through a, a, what should be an open lane if those guard and tackles uh, end up trusting each other and acting like it's going to be an actual stunt. And that Columbo's was, getting them prepared for all that. Yeah, I would imagine Colombo has all this marked down, and we've seen it, man. Last year, the, the Buccaneers stunted the crap out of the Giants. The Patriots, I mean, you can just go through. Like, I feel like Dallas and the Bills did it a little bit, but I feel like Eli did a much better job helping set the protections. And once Daniel Jones came in, you saw kind of a step down, yeah. a huge step down in play when it came to the offensive line. And we were seeing the Vikings just scheme up three versus two multiple times in that game where Will Hernandez was put into so many crappy situations because he had to try to cover for Nate Solder and then John Jalapio would slide to the wrong side and they set the protection the wrong way and Daniel Jones, the rookie quarterback, doesn't really recognize exactly the nuances of setting or assisting the offensive line with setting the protection. So there was a lot of just crap that happened last year with Hal Hunter in that offensive line and their ability to effectively pick up stunts and twists. And it's really encouraging to see that Mark Colombo's focusing on it. And I assure you, every offensive line coach focuses it on it. It's just to the level of effectiveness that you're able to get out of your offensive line. That's what you're kind of looking for. And to me, Hal Hunter did not have that last year. So that's what we're really hoping for with Colombo. But yeah. It's the little things. and It's, it's the details, things. man. Yeah, it's the details that may not stand out or may not show up in a box score, but make end up making a massive difference. All right, Nick, give us a little preview of what we're going to see when we read your Big Blue View article, the Cam Fleming film study. Because listen, Cam Fleming is a guy who from day one in training camp this year has caught good positive buzz and stood out as one of the best linemen. Yes, he has a leg up because he knows the system and he played in it with Colombo. But let's not forget, this is still a young offensive lineman who's developing with more experience could improve on his skill set and has a lot of talent it's obvious based on the good we've seen on film for him obviously there's inconsistencies we've talked about it before but what are your thoughts on him moving forward as a giant starting right tackle because i believe he's going to start there in week one and i believe he's going to end there in week 17 i too believe that he's going to be the starting right tackle on this team especially if nick gates is that starting center and i think what you're going to get is you're going to get an upgrade on mike remmers and i know mike remmers he gets knocked down a lot but i feel like he played admirably last year on an offensive line that was pretty shitty overall but i feel like he played admirably especially in the run game and i think cam fleming is going to offer Something similar to that because I feel Cam Fleming does a really good job blocking down on techniques, so four techniques and lower, blocking down, watching them down the line of scrimmage. I feel like he does a pretty good job at doing that. And then when he is scoop blocking and, and blocking and sealing outside are all things that he can do. Now, I feel like there are some inconsistencies with him and they especially affect him during pass protection. I feel like he exposes his chest a lot, kind of gives it up and kind of gives defenders the first option on what to do with him and puts him into into a position where he really has to readjust adjust his body and then re-anchor himself and i've seen seen that a couple times i would say he's an adequate pass protector and which would be a step below what he is as a solid run defender 
blocker. A, a run block, yeah, run blocker that is. But overall, I think you're getting a player that you can win with. I don't think he's going to be your long-term starter, but you're getting a guy on a one-year contract. He's 27 year, years old. He's only started 25 games, so he's not overly experienced in terms of how many games he's been a part of because I want to say he's been in the league for 75 games or something like that. I have it up there. But I think for a one-year, $3.5 million deal, this is a really good get for the New York Giants. And it's somebody who's not going to be a total liability. You could trust him on an island. He can readjust. He can re-anchor. He is very, very strong. I think he could clean up his hand usage a little bit, but I still think he's, I would say, a solid with his sets on his 45, with his jump sets. I didn't see him take too many 90, um, take too many deep sets. So that's one thing I, I guess I didn't see as much in the film study that I did, which would be a vertical set. So that means basically if you're going up against a really, really wide rusher and you're in a five-step offense or, or more, seven-step, which you don't really see as much in the NFL anymore, you're going to vertical set to really not allow that wide rusher to kind of get around you. But I saw him jump set and do 45 sets a lot on the uh, offensive line and... I felt like his footwork was pretty solid. There was one that I highlight where it was a little herky-jerky and he got taken advantage of. But then the matchups with Kyler Fackrell were pretty cool as well, to be honest, because the first two reps, Kyler Fackrell won with power and bull-rushed him and then got his feet to narrow up and basically backed him up into Dak Prescott. And I want to say it resulted in a completed pass, but it was a really vicious push-pull move from Kyler Fackrell where he got underneath the inside shoulder pad of Cam Fleming and violently pulled him down to the ground and it was just kind of an embarrassing look at the play and then there was another one where he beat Cam Fleming around the edge of an up the arc and ends up getting to Dak Prescott forces him up into the pocket and Dak throws an incomplete pass on that play so he got beat with power initially and then he got beat with speed both really ugly reps from Cam Fleming but what I love about Cam Fleming is he's smart he's a Stanford guy right he ends up adjusting and later Fackle tries to hit him with speed and tries to hit him with power and both times Fleming is in great position to execute and wash him up the arc when it comes to the speed he just washes him right up the arc and he does can't even fackrell can't even come close to prescott and then in the other rep he just anchors down readjusts himself and arches his back and fackrell just can't do anything because the strength and basically fleming built a wall on him so the fact that he was able to readjust throughout the game against fackrell and he was also doing a solid job against smith smith definitely zadarius smith that is he didn't really block preston smith much but zadarius smith one of the better pass rushers in the nfl by far he did a solid job he he lost some reps and you can definitely see that but he's also he won a lot of them and he's being trusted on an island by dallas as their left tackle filling in for tyron smith so I, i think the giants could do worse than someone like Cam Fleming as their starting right tackle. Tackles around the NFL are that's yes at an all-time low, and I think, as you mentioned, you kind of your analysis kind of pinpoints what Fleming is at this point in his career, and that's someone who is a smart offensive tackle, and on some reps looks like an excellent star, and on others he's just inconsistent. But does has does have an ability and does an excellent job of adjusting to the mistakes he makes in game and using his high IQ to improve within the game. And so, again, for a player who's just 27 years old, still developing as a lineman, like you said, doesn't even have that much actual experience, which I think is a good thing when it comes to his development. And as Mark Colombo said the other day, or I believe yesterday, is the first guy at practice every day. This is the guy he said who's working the hardest. He's literally the first guy at practice every day. So you factor all those things in, and I still see upside when it comes to Fleming, especially because the issues are more consistency-based than, you know, talent or than, you know, um, just not having the frame to do this. So for me, it brings it brings a level of excitement from an upside standpoint. I think what they're getting is a, a, a rich man's Mike Rammers, if you will. Yeah, and it's also a technique thing. But again, like he's been beat on a several times I saw in 2019. He was beat, and he was able to open his hips and just do whatever he could to protect Dak Prescott. Mm. And he was beat a couple times by Zadarius Smith, and I was like, uh-oh, this is bad. With an inside move where Zadarius had a clear path, and he's able just to open his hips, use his length, and just drive Zadarius Smith away from Dak Prescott. And it's like, okay, wow. So that he's not perfect with his technique all the time, but he's definitely, I feel like he's an upgrade over Mike Remmers, and that's not a slight to Mike Remmers, but you got this guy, an NFL tackle, a person who has started in the NFL 
for $3.5 million a year on a one-year deal. So I think that's kind of a steal for the New York Still Giants. 27 years old with talent, obvious talent, high IQ, and the potential to improve on his techniques because he's working hard. He's there every day at practice early. And again, still young. Still young not only in age but in his experience. So I, I like it. Um, anything, any specific reps you wanted to point out besides those versus Fackrell that really stood out to you? I mean, all the reps against Darius Smith are cool. There are two reps that are that are pretty neat, and it comes from Kellen Moore's offense. But Jason Garrett was the head coach, where it's they, the Cowboys, both against the Jets. So they saw something with how the Jets lined up their uh, their front, which they use a lot of tight bears. So that basically they have a zero tech and two three techniques. So it's really tight protecting the A and B gaps. They would run a lot of outside power, so like C gap power. So basically, Cam Fleming would block down hard on the three technique, and then. The tackle, I mean, then the guard and the center would all block down hard on the nose and then the other three technique. And then both the tackle and guard from the backside would pull through and and Ezekiel Elliott would run right off the ass of Cam Fleming. And one of them ended up being a touchdown against the Jets. So I, I, I thought that was an interesting and something that we didn't see from Pat Shermer. Right. Shermer used a little bit of power gap. A lot of it was bringing Will Hernandez yeah. around to the opposite side as the backside pulling guard. But you didn't see a lot of pulling to uh, offensive linemen from one balling, side of the yeah. formation. No, you did not see that. So I think that's interesting. And maybe it's something that the Giants will try doing this year. Oh, it's definitely something. We've seen it already in camp with two linemen pulling. And that gets me excited. It gets me fired up. I mean... It's just that, you know, we, you can say one way or the other. I mean, you look at Kyle Shannon, he doesn't do that often. He is a great running game. But the Giants' offensive line is built to have this power gap running game. And I believe with the talent they have on this roster on the offensive line, they're best suited for this kind of offense. And just in general, it's going to help them be more of a ball control offense, which they need to be with this defense. They got to keep this defense off the field. So that excites me for sure, Nick. Just before we wrap up, um, and you could definitely add on anything else you wanted to mention from your film study on Cam Fleming, but I wanted you to break down something a little bit deeper. What do you mean when you say Fleming does a good job of washing a, def- a defensive lineman up the arc? Well, washing would be more of a – that's what you do when you block down on somebody. So if you were blocking a tackle's blocking down on a three-tech, a three-tech is usually – well, is positioned on the outside shoulder of the guard. So that means that – the three-tech would be inside of the tackle. And if the run's going to the outside, washing someone down the line of scrimmage would be that tackle, Cam Fleming, blocking down and pushing him away from the run. That would be washing someone down the line of scrimmage. Pushing someone up the arc, there's a pass rushing. Pass rushing arc would be basically, think about how pass rushers, their path to quarterbacks, if they're going to use speed. The arc is, it's an imaginary line that would go around the tackle and then it would kind of curve into the pocket. That's what I call, and a lot of people call, the pass rushing arc. So basically, if pass rushers are trying to use speed, they're going to explode up that arc and try to dip that inside shoulder to get around that tackle and then bend through the contact of the tackle to get into the pocket. Now, if you push someone up that arc, that means, say, the pass rusher gets off, he has a quick first step, and you, as the tackle, open up your hips towards the arc and then you ride that pass rusher up the arc and instead of them cornering at the top of the arc and getting to the quarterback and getting into the pocket and getting a pressure you're able to take that pass rusher and just kind of ride him away and not allow him to corner so instead of going and turning towards the pocket you kind of let make him go vertical and away from the pocket and that allows the quarterback to kind of step up into the pocket reset his feet and then make his throw sounds good to me Anything else on Cam Fleming film study before we move on? Now just go check it out at Big Blue View. Uh, some comments, and please rate and review this podcast, everybody. <laughs> before we sign off on today's show, and we'll be back soon, of course, there's a lot going on now in the Giants land. I do want to leave you with a quote just to confirm that we're not blowing smoke when it comes to the fact that these Giants players are kind of okay with this hard-ass Joe Judge style of training camp. Daniel Jones said on Joe Judge's camps, and he said this, I believe, on the fan today or or during a radio appearance i've had to run a few laps myself i think we all have we're embracing the program i know the guys on the team are enjoying the camp that we're having so listen jones likes it shepherd likes it that's good with me yeah let's roll with that man and you know daniel jones that's that's hopefully a future right there that's you know, hopefully the future gotta hope that right now all right giants fans thanks again for tuning in and we will speak to you soon sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events Major League Baseball back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. 
Check all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it will be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Pandemic. Visit BetOnline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.